Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Thriving Adoptees podcast. So today I'm delighted to be joined by Jen. Jen, welcome to the show. Great to see you. Thank you for making time for me today. Yeah, it's great to be here. Nice yeah. to meet you. It's just nice to see you again. Yeah, we had a great chat last time. So I know the, the listeners are in for a, a treat, a treat this afternoon. Uh, or, or it might be morning, nighttime. Who's, who knows when, when they're recording? When they're listening yeah, exactly. To this. Yeah. Yeah. I tend to listen to podcasts in the morning when I'm walking the dog. So if you're walking your dog listening, hello. If you're driving, if you're driving somewhere, hello. And if you're doing something else, ironing, I sometimes, sometimes do. That's the only thing I do around the house is ironing. Uh, and sometimes I don't do all of the ironing by any means, but sometimes I listen to podcasts while I'm ironing. That's um, um, so Jen, um, I, I'm going on a bit here. Uh, please, could you introduce yourself to the to the listeners? Yeah, my name is Jen, and I'm a adoptee. And as you can tell, I am from America. And um, <laughs> I was born in the state of Utah and immediately adopted to well, not immediately after nine weeks that I was adopted and raised in Oklahoma. So, kind of the mountains and then to the prairie. Yeah. Um, and there I was raised in a family where my older brother um, is biologically um, our parents' child and then me. And then when I was about nine, we adopted a four or five-year-old and a two, three-year-old. They were close to changing, you know, t- turning. So, um, and then grew up in a family of four. Yeah. So. Yeah. And um, oh. We, uh, so the podcast is called The Thriving Adoptee. So uh, does that, what, what comes to your mind when you hear that, that word? Um, I, you know, I think that it's interesting because actually since we've talked, what I do, I listen to podcasts, but I also watch a lot of British mysteries. And it's interesting because out of the six last episodes that I've watched, which apparently I watch a lot, um, four of them were all about adoptees and like, and they were all the murderers. And it was very sympathetic towards, towards the birth family and a little bit like, you know, a little, maybe a little harsh towards the adoptive family. And then the, the, the weird odd person is the adoptee. And so I think in the media, I think people, um, you know, have different stories that they're telling. But I think a thriving adoptee is somebody that's kind of taken all of these parts that happen to them through adoption and put these pieces together and uh, work really hard on it. It's, it's hard work and to move forward and to progress and not to let the adoption and the trauma of adoption hold them back from everything that they, you know, that they want from life because yeah. we can tend to get into patterns of thought or actions that uh are kind of replicating beliefs that we have about ourselves, maybe because we are adopted. So kind of putting all of that together and moving forward, I think is what, when, when I think of thriving adoptee is not somebody that just was like, oh, it didn't affect me and they moved on, but somebody that actually put the time in and effort to, to learn about how adoption affects them and then move on, you yeah. know? Yeah. Uh, would you mind sharing some of your, your journey on or your kind of, um, your perspective and your journey in, in how you did that would that would that be okay if if, if it's not then you know I'll, I'll ask you a different yeah no that's totally okay I I kind of out of all the stories so 
uh, this is what set me on the path to become a search angel. And um, out of all those stories, I find mine kind of boring. But um, <laughs> like I said, I was adopted to this family that just my mom was born to be a mom. She uh, just an excellent parents that really gave us everything that we needed in a nurturing home. And I would say I would be I would have been um, a poster child for adoption, just a success story of a very happy um, and not really even thinking about adoption and how it affects me. And then I had my first child and th th these couple of things intersect at this point. My mom died uh, of cancer two weeks before my, my daughter was born. And then I had my daughter. And I think that is a common, common theme for a lot of women when they have their first child. Um, and then it just makes them think like, oh my gosh, can I, I can't even imagine not having this, this human in my life and, and everything you go through. And so you start kind of thinking a little bit more about your birth mother and not that I didn't think about her until then I did, but I definitely had fantasies. Cause I was, you know, a native, um, American Italian princess. That was one of the things I was, cause my parents are very Nordic looking and, and I am not. So I always thought I was native American, Nordic, I'm native American, Italian princess. So, so, you know, I obviously had those fantasies, but I hadn't really given a lot of thought until I had my own child, but at the same time I'm grieving my mother. And I didn't want people to think that I started searching for my birth family because I was trying to replace my mother that I had just lost. And so I just let it go. And then I had another child and then, um, it's kind of a long story, but while they were beta testing from ancestry.com, their DNA testing, I was able, I, was able to get a test. So I took a test in uh, early 2013 and there were only like a hundred thousand people in their database. There are over a million. I don't even keep track anymore, but there's over a million now. But at the time they had a hundred thousand people. And also at that same time, the vice president of ancestry had given the test to a neighbor who was adopted. He tested and, and matched a half sibling. And there was a whole Katie Couric show on it when Katie Couric had a talk show. and. And um, so I thought, oh, I'm going to take this test and I'm going to match, you know, a half brother or a sibling, or actually I didn't even think about having siblings. I just thought I would match somebody interesting, but I had fourth cousin matches, which is really like, I think I used to know this off the top of my head. It's you, if you have a fourth cousin match, it means one of 64 grandparents, you know, great, great grandparents are, are the same. So I would have to find somebody that I matched to as a fourth cousin, look at those 64 grandparents and kind of decide like which one I was related to. And I have nothing based to base that on. And I actually matched down at it like a fifth or sixth cousin to one of the DNA scientists at Ancestry DNA. So my connection with Ancestry DNA, he talked to the, the scientist and the scientist says, there's no way she's going to find her family with fourth cousin matches. It's just impossible. And, um, I, that, you know, is a challenge to me. <laughs> like I'm the type of person who's like, tell somebody that they can't do something. I, I'm pretty much going to want to prove you wrong. And so then I became, uh, like I said, in the background, I'm watching, you know, uh, British mysteries, which are very complex um, compared to American <laughs> murder mysteries, you know, and I'm listening to those in the background and I'm creating this board on, and, you know, red, 
red yarn between them and, you know, notebooks and notebooks. And I was like tw almost 24 hours a day at the time. My husband was working internationally and was often gone. And so when he was gone, my kids were kind of entertaining themselves. And I was just working on this, trying to figure it out and coming up with lots of different things. After about nine months, I kind of had a breakthrough and, um, and I was able to find my birth family through the DNA, but also I called the lawyer that did the, the uh, adoption and I, and he said he couldn't help me. He had, I knew, I knew from a story my mother had told me as a child that he had the name of my birth mother because he asked her if she wanted to know it and she knew she wasn't, it was a story to, to teach me integrity. And she said that like the, the lawyer had the name and asked if she wanted to know it. And she said, no, because she knew it was something she wasn't supposed to have. So she was teaching me integrity, but in my little, you know, eight-year-old mind, it was that lawyer knows the name of my birth mother, you know, and it just tucked away for, you know, 30, over 30 years. And so, um, I happened to be friends with, I grew up in a small town and he was a lawyer in the town and I happened to be friends with his daughter a long time ago, um, played soccer with her. And, um, so I called him, his secretary up, talked to him and he, she said she, he would have him call me back. He didn't call back for a few months. And then he, all of a sudden he called me back and he said, I'm sorry, I would love to help you, but I can't. And, uh, I had heard before, you know, reading other people's stories back in the day before the internet and things that if you could give somebody an out, sometimes they would do things like leave a file on a table and walk away or, you know, so I, I was like, well, I've been doing, I've spent a lot of money. I, at that point, I had taken DNA tests with all three companies. And I said, um, I spent a lot of money on these DNA tests and I have these names. And would one of these names be on that paper? <laughs> and he's like, okay, tell me the name. So I say all the names and he's like, nope, I wouldn't go in that direction. And then this just like a little thought popped into me that, um, when I was looking for my birth certificate as a child, as a 16 year old to get um, my driver's license, I saw a little paper that said baby girl green on it and didn't really think a lot. And it had my feeding schedule on it was from the, like the orphanage that I'd been in. And I, I and notes from the nurses. And I thought, well, maybe it's just a green room that I was in. Like, maybe that's like, a generic green, maybe there's a baby girl orange, maybe there's a baby, you know, baby boy brown, I don't know. And so then I, I, I sat there for, we sat there in silence on the phone with the lawyer for a few minutes and that, that memory came to me and I said, how about green? And he said, if I were you, I'd go in that direction. And with that information and the DNA that I had, um, I was able to and some other inf information I had, I was able to kind of piece the things together and I found her. And uh, when I contacted her through Facebook at the time, you could pay a dollar and it would get to somebody, like it would get directly into their inbox. And now you can't, if you're not friends, you can't get that message in. So it's kind of made it harder. We have to come around, you know, we've come up with different ways by sending her a message and just explained who I was and said, um, could she be my mother? And she uh, replied in a couple of hours and shocked and said, I, I've always hoped you'd find me and thank you for finding me. And yes, I am. And then later that night, we got on the phone and talked for like four hours until the morning and, you know, until like 2am. And 
And she said, she told me kind of a motherly voice, I think you need to go to bed now. <laughs> so, um, and then, you know, so we've had nine years now of, of reunion, but I had spent all that time and effort. First of all, now I have this habit of, of searching for nine, nine, 10 months. And, and um, I had these skills. So, you know, I'm on Facebook and I see somebody needs help. So I start helping them. And then it, it just kind of expanded into a group and then helping more and more people with um, their DNA and helping them on their journey. So yeah, that's kind of where I am today. Well, yeah. And uh, I mean, do, do you, um, do you want me to put links in, 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 in the show notes? Do you want people to contact you if they're looking for a search angel? Would you, would you like well, that? Would you rather to- not? Um, sure. I mean, they, they can, they can contact me. I feel like most people, when they take DNA tests in the United States, I do have one open case right now in the UK. Yeah, you mentioned that. Yeah. Um, and I've saw, and I've solved a couple of other ones there. It's a little bit harder. So it's a little more challenging for me in the, it, uh, in the UK and I'm, I'm happy to help. It is a challenge for that, but for, to be honest, for most Americans, they'll they'll match to a first cousin or a half sibling at this point because there's so many people in the database in America most people are matching pretty quickly so we actually we we don't do a lot of searches that my team that kind of came together on on um, Facebook we don't do a lot of searches anymore because most people take the DNA test and they'll come up with something unless they're uh, international adoptee or for example my my birth mother her father's uh, immigrated like if there's recent immigration to america then those are the ones that are kind of hard but other than that like you know that i'm happy to take any requests but for the most part i don't see a lot of people really searching anymore and the other thing is is uh compared to you know every state has their own laws and a there's a lot of them that have some sort of law that allows them to get their documentation. And so uh, their adoption records or whatever, their original birth certificate. So that, that kind of has changed. It's not for a while, for probably four or five years, it, it was a nonstop searching DNA doing that, but it's kind of slowed down. Not a lot of people need that help anymore. Yeah. So just so I remember, and then we'll move back onto the thing. What, what's, where should people contact you? Um, Probably just at my email address at jenniferajohnston at gmail.com. Okay. So I'll, I'll put that in the in the, uh, the show notes. Uh, okay. If you're okay with that. I don't. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's um, fine. So um, you, 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 talked to, you, you talked about um, putting, obviously, uh, you talked about putting the, uh, taking the past and putting the pieces together. Um, yeah. And, and uh, when, when you, when we're talking about what thriving adoptees mean to you. And, and not letting you talk about, um, you know, uh, patterns of pattern behavior, patterns of thought, and, and and not being held held back. So we, we've taken care of the kind of the um, to one extent we're taking care of the uh, the the logistics of, of the search and that kind of um, curiosity and questions. Uh, and 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 the nagging nagging doubts and and you've clearly you you you're, you're like very persistent and tenacious and stuck with that and you know the fact that you you had a four hour conversation with your mum and you're still in when you first spoke and you're still in touch with her nine years it's um it's an amazing thing what about 
what what about the the, the patterns and the and the and the beliefs and the not letting adoption holders back? How do you, how do you see that? Um, I think I, I think um, you know when we talked the first time, I kind of talked about how when I first started doing the searches for people, I was living vicariously through them. And I would be very upset, like if they wouldn't contact or if they didn't do it the way I wanted them to do it. Not very, I would say very upset, but it was frustrating. I would say frustrating. And, and uh, I had to kind of examine that. Like, why am I so frustrated with them? Because they won't do it the way I want them to do it. Right. And I think that I realized I was invested for myself, you know, like I was getting something out of it. So I started to examine, like, what am I getting out of this, this rush or what, you know, this, this experience that's helping me kind of piece things together. And, and I think it was, uh, you know, the story, you know, I have the, uh, like, I have what I think is a typical story. So, you know, my birth parents were young ish and not married. And it was, a time when society did not accept that and they felt like it was kind of their only choice. And that's a common, common story, but I have other stories, which are, you know, the parents didn't have enough money and this is their 10th kid or, and they place them for adoption. And I see those and I'm like, Oh, how do you live with that? You know? And I think everybody, or just lots of different stories where it's the middle child is placed for adoption in some, for some weird, you know, reason. And I think, oh man, that would be really difficult for me to accept that thing. And I think that's when I started to realize, oh, you know, these stories are really important for us to make sense of who we are and what, what's going on because those people seem fine with their stories. <laughs> you know, like, I'm like, oh, I would be devastated to get that news. And they're like, oh, okay. Yeah, that makes sense. You know, that, and they, you know, and they start to, they start to absorb that story and then fit that into their lives. And then I realized kind of like, you know, the reunion part of it, it, for some people, it's not important for them to meet the person. It's important for them to not have this mystery person out there anymore. They know where the person is. They know who the person was. And that's enough for them. And before I was like, no, you have to talk to them. And now I'm like, when I realized that that's what I had to do. And that's not what everyone has to do, you know, and, um, and I've watched people take that information. I do feel like there is that not knowing who the person is, I feel like that is a hurdle that people have to get over. In my experience and my experience with other people that knowing that not knowing is really painful. And once they know whatever they do with that knowledge, whether they have a reunion and you know celebrate Christmas with them or like what I've done, gone on vacations and kind of tried to assimilate into that family as well as my, my family that I was raised with, that's one way of doing it, but that's not the only way of doing it, right? So like there's lots of different ways, different journeys for different people. But I do think um, it's such a mystery for adoptees, like where they came from, having that information helps them move forward. And I don't know the exact reason why, but that helps them with their story and helps them kind of complete this image of themselves so that they can move forward. Wow. Um... Something um, I was thinking, you know, like, sorry, let me ask, reframe, just take a split second to think about what I'm going to ask you next. Um, You like mystery stories, right? Oh, I love them. (laughs) 
and that you've also said that you you think that people don't like uncertainty. Yeah. Um, so there's you know there's an interesting because there's an interesting thing that because I, I I was watching um, a British crime drama um, last night and. There's no there's no adoptees in this one. No, none that. Okay. None, none that. Uh, um, and um, uh, it's quite complex, and it draws me in because I don't know what's going on. I mean, it is a mystery. You know, it's it's supposed to be a, a it's supposed to be a mystery. It's supposed to be a kind of a who done it. It's you know what's or what's going to happen. Is the are they going to get off or you know what? I don't really know. I, I don't know what's going to happen. But I don't know what's going to happen at the end. So that that one that's one thing that hooks me in, right? And mm-hmm. but I'm also I'm not completely aware of what's going on. I, I'm not I'm, I'm not spotting all the clues. There are some clues, and my wife's spotting all of them. And unfortunately, I I kind of fell asleep through some of the one of the uh, episodes. So, um, so we've had to watch it again. But I'm still not quite up on it. I'm, I'm just I, I, I'm zonked. I'm I'm tired after a day's work, and I'm just I, I'm not paying full attention. But I'm actually drawn in because I don't know I don't know exactly what's going on. I'm not spotting all the clues like my wife is, and I don't know what's going to happen at the end. So I think it's really just interesting justification, a juxtaposition, because um, culturally we don't like not knowing, right? In certain areas, um, and, and you know, like the adoption area, we don't like you know, you don't like it, but. But then if we but if we're watching a bit of telly, then we're not we're not we're, we're not bothered that we you know that keeps us going, you know. And like people talk about I heard this the same kind of story or the same kind of analogy that people don't like being scared, yet they go to horror movies mm-hmm. and that they go on <laughs> scary rides. Yeah, isn't it? Isn't it really interesting that? Well, I, I would say this. One is when I'm watching a television program and luckily most of the British ones, if they're even in a series are resolved in about six episodes, not 24 like they do in the United States. So <laughs> that's the one thing I like. Like they don't have to drag the story out. The other thing I love about the, the British mysteries is that there's history. Nobody's ever murdered because of something that happened that week. It's always something that happened 20 years ago. So that's something I like, but they always resolve, right? And the fear in a haunted house, uh, which is big right now, you know, it's, it's Halloween for in America and, and haunted houses and roller coasters is the perceived danger without having the danger. So that's the same thing with the mystery. I don't know yet, but I know that before it ends, I'm going to know. And I know when I go on a roller coaster, there's a 99.9% chance I'm not going to be hurt, right? And so I can have that exhilaration, I can have that feeling in a safe environment. With, but with an adoptee and not like, most of adoptees have no idea how they're ever going to get that information. And so then that starts to, to nag at them and starts to be a, be a problem and starts to be something that maybe that, you know, um, you don't, when you don't know your story. So 
maybe you think that they didn't love you, so they gave you away. Or even though anybody, everyone will tell you, oh, you were chosen by the parents that adopted you. You were, you, you know, they can give you all sorts of stories, but you don't have the story from your mother. Like you don't have that story. And so it's, it's unfinished. And the other thing is, is like, so like my kids, they know like, how I met their dad and how we dated, how we got married, how we ended up in Houston, how, you know, like they have all this information that happened before they were even born, right? And we don't have any information. It's like, we're missing like the first couple of chapters of our book. And then we're trying to make sense of the rest of it. And maybe some of those clues, like you're talking about, you, you fell asleep in the mystery, you know, that you didn't get all of it. You're not really sure what's going on. That's how adoptees feel because they're missing the first couple of chapters of their life. And then they're trying to make sense of where they're going and what's happening right then. And so I think having some of that and, and reunion doesn't resolve that completely because here's the thing, birth mom has one story. If you meet your birth dad, he has another story, you know, and then information that you got from the adoption agency is another story. So you have all these different stories that are sometimes in complete conflict with each other. And then it's up to you to really put them together and make them make sense for yourself and then accept that and be like, okay, um, yeah, that wasn't a great start to my life, but now I get to choose where I go from there. But I think the mystery of not knowing and not knowing if that will ever resolve is the difference between what we see on television and what happens in real life. Yeah. You know, I think it, I think it's, I think it's the whole area is completely fascinating to me. Um, I'm thinking about my own stuff and uncertainty. Uh, like my, my, I didn't think about my birth mother at all, really. I didn't, I, I didn't think good of her. I didn't think bad of her. I didn't think of her. It wasn't, you know, like till I was about 40. Um, and then I had a, an intense moment of feeling bad about her. Um, and it was that, you know, she didn't love me enough to keep me thing that you're talking about. I remember going, I went to, I went to see somebody, uh, I was going to go on a, a, a course uh, and it wasn't for adoptees. It, it was just for people that weren't happy with their lot in life. Um, so and I remember having a discussion with uh, Liz and Richard before I went on the on, on the course, uh, and um, I said, you know, I'd, 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 it was probably a year after I'd found out that uh, after a year after uh, uh, this um, uh, the 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 animosity to my birth mother had first popped into my brain for, and into my heart for twenty seconds or so. But it, it made such an impact when it came in that, you know, 18 months later, I was still thinking, well, has have I got some adoption issues to deal with? Is, is it just business? Is it just my self-esteem and my self-worth to do with business? Or have I got adoption issues to deal with? And I remember saying to them, you know, do you think I should do go do, go and do the search, you know, for my, for my birth mother? And they both said, um, no. <laughs> Uh, and you know I, I was a shall I shan't I not I wasn't looking for them I, I, I wasn't uh, I've got this I've got this thing at the moment that I do I only do no-brainers because I have so many random ideas that pop into my head 
if it's not a no-brainer, I don't do it. This is a because otherwise you're kind of like stretching yourself too thin. And I don't, you know, so, but um, she said, don't do it. And, but then later on, I did, I did go, um, I did go about the, the search and, and then I stopped. So I was one of the guys that would have drone, driven you a bit nuts because I got the first, I got the first clue. Well, not the cl- first clue. I got, I got her name. I got, I got my original birth certificate with her name on it. Uh, and nothing else. And then the next stage was to get the adoption file. Like you, so here, here in the UK, you know, if you can get the file, if it exists, if they can find it, you've got to go through an intermediary to, to it, but you can get the file. And, 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 in, in, and, and in the file, um, I, I, I heard, this, I, I, I found the, I, I discovered the story. Um, but and I, I got some it, it gave me a certain amount of closure but it wasn't huge the story what did give me this closure, closure was this letter um, uh, this letter that just showed to me the desperation of my personal situation and her love for me so I had this when I was 40 this intense moment of my birth mother didn't doesn't love me enough. And then eight years later, I got a letter that said that showed me that that, that was wrong. That she she did love me and she was in a desperate position. But there's to me, there's two kind of things like first is there's no rules. Right. Right. Some people think that they're gonna be happy when they're reunited and then it doesn't work right. Some people think they you know th- think that they can't be happy until they know the whole story but then they find out the whole story and they're not happy it's like we're not really good at um predicting how we're going to feel about stuff we're not very good at predict- <laughs> right yeah we're not very pre- and we're, we're not good nobody this, this isn't this isn't adoption this isn't isn't an adoption thing um, we're not very good at predicting how we're going to feel when we get something or when we don't get something. We're not going to, we're not very good at predicting how things are going to turn out. We, don't, we haven't got a clue. Um, and the rules is, but we're we're brought up on rules and you know science experiments that say if we do this, this, and this, then we're going to get this. Uh, and 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 the whole the societal myth is the cultural myth in the here in the West is I'll be happy when. And everybody's got a different ending to that sentence. Uh, yeah. Well, I find it interesting that you say when you got that second letter, you said you that was closure, but it actually just opened up a whole other journey for you, right? Because now you're doing these podcasts. Now you're you're kind of interviewing people and thinking about it in a in a way that you didn't think about it before. Well. Um... Yeah, um, but I'm I, I'm I'm doing it from uh, a, a place of, of of wholeness. I don't I don't you know like I I didn't think I was good enough, right? Not not because I was adopted. I just didn't think I was good enough. You know, I wasn't. But how do you? But but Simon, how do you separate because you're adopted and because you're not? Because you've never really not been adopted, 
right? And okay. so that's, that's, that's a really good that's question. Something, that's, that's something that, you know, like adoptees don't have, don't have the corner market on, you know, don't have the corner market on, on trauma or on, on a lot of things, on self-worth, on, on a lot of things. But the, the problem is, is you can't separate, I can't separate me adopted non-adopted me because that non-adopted me doesn't exist i've i've always been adopted i mean you're a little bit older but for the most of us we don't have it's not like oh this is before my car accident this is how i was and now i know kind of you know kind of know that or before covid or you know what i mean like we had a life before covid and now we know what life is after covid but when we're adopted, we we're we're just adopted. It's I don't know I don't know what's caused. I don't know if my quirkiness is caused from genes or adoption or or because I am quirky. You know what I mean? Like I I don't know that. I don't know that if my self esteem problems or uh, whatever. I do know that there are studies that show like people that have addictions or you know there are different things that I think that we can't say everything is caused because of adoption, but we can't take it out of any equation. It's always going to be when you're an adopted person, it's always going to be an equation in your life, the way you treat your kids, the way, you know, whatever you do, because you, you can't separate it from yourself. Okay. Um, so uh, the, the way that I, I see it, I've, I've had two things have been the cause of drama in my life. One, business. Two, adoption. Right. So running my own business. So I didn't think most of my not good enough. I've got far more not good enough associated with business. I've, I've done far. I've had far more uh, sleepless nights. I haven't had any sleepless nights over being adopted. I've had loads of sleepless nights about business. So I do have a there is a before and after because. I didn't go into, I didn't start working until I was 22. So, and then, uh, and then I had, I was working with my dad and I had some ups and downs working with him. And then I was, I took over the business. So I know from between the ages of 26 and what it would be, 26 and 26 and 44, I was running my own business. So for a period of whatever that is, 44 minus 26, 18 years, for 18 years, I had a load of poop from business. Okay. I had 18 years when a lot of a lot of a, a lot of those days in those years were tricky for me, right? Uh-huh. I, I, and I've I've not had anything like that much poop from adoption. I've had I've had some very intense moments. Of uh, and, and I can I, I can see the difference because I don't I don't think I, 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 uh, and I, so that's that's just my kind of take on. Well, I'm just I'm just going to throw it out there, and you can take with this whatever you want. How so? You got the these challenges, these these things through business that were hard, but how you dealt with them. With somebody else who wasn't adopted dealt with them different than who is adopted. Do you know what I mean? And we can't, we, because 
I, I've done a lot of thinking more on it, like a feminist type of uh, like type of thought. Cause I, I was a school teacher. I was a school teacher by default because I was told that's what women do. I, I told my fourth grade teacher, I wanted to be an electrical engineer. And she told me girls aren't electrical engineers. I played soccer. I'm about the same age as Mia Hamm. And I didn't really see a future for my soccer playing, even though I loved it. I was really good at it, but I didn't see a future for it. Why did I take that? No, I can't be an electrical engineer. And that yeah, I love soccer, but I'm going to stop playing because I'm a girl and there's really nowhere else for me to go when other people who are even older than I am become a NASA scientist. And they were told the same thing or that they were, you know, that they may ham. I'm sure it wasn't easy just to play soccer when you're a girl and, and our age, like you had to keep fighting for it. Like, why did they keep fighting for that? And when I didn't, and I do think that adoption played a part in it because I have a really strong, tenacious personality, but I also have a lot of self-doubt that I think comes from maybe not feeling good enough or feeling worthy, not because anybody told me that, but just inherently through what adoption means, right? So it's not something that I'm like, like I can tangibly see in my life every single day, but it's an undercurrent that has always been there. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, um, it's fascinating stuff. Uh, and as you say, we don't, um, you said that uh, adoptees don't have the, um, what was the word they use? We don't have the, the, the First. monopoly. Monopoly. Oh, we, the corner market. Yeah. We don't yeah. have the corner we, market. We don't have the things, corner market. Right? So, you know, I, I've done most of my, consciousness work my self-discovery work identity stuff whatever you would however you would call that um i've done it well all of it i've done it all of it with non-adoptees and none of them think they're good enough either right right that's what i'm saying but but at the same time you can't take out what influence that has, you know what I mean? Like at the same time, um, like I'm not yeah. trying to put everything on adoption, but I'm also not trying to, I, but I'm saying it has to play some part. Like I, I can't believe that it doesn't play some part. Well, it plays some parts in our feelings and it plays some parts in our thoughts, but we aren't either of those things. That's true. But so the, um, I don't know if, I, maybe you interviewed him. I'm not sure, but his name's like Paul Sutherland, yes. Sunderland, and and he has this uh, YouTube thing that's been watched by a lot of adoptees about adoptees and addiction. And um, he says, like, you know, adoptees will go to therapy for two, three years before they tell the therapist that they're adopted because it isn't in their consciousness. It's not in their for like what we were talking about. My husband talks about it being. Um, my husband talks about it being like not adopted. And then all of a sudden, like all of a sudden I was adopted. Like it wasn't a part of my life. And then all of a sudden it was a part of everything in my life. It was always there. It was just something that either I wasn't ready to deal with or I wasn't ready to recognize. And I just, um, then, then yeah. I, then I was, you know, so I've watched that Paul Sunderland. So I, I got him confused with somebody else. I, I interviewed uh, I interviewed a, a search angel guy called Paul, British guy who lives in uh, New Jersey. Um, uh, but and I got him confused with what Paul Sunderland. Yeah, I've I've watched that Paul Sunderland video, and uh, for me, he makes some very he, he makes some very uh, 
there's some very dangerous omissions in what he talks about. So um, the world, the world of post-traumatic stress, uh, it, and he, he equates um, adoption, relinquishment, uh, and, and, and PTSD. He puts the two together. Is that that's the one you're talking about, right? Yeah. Well, he just talks about the fact that uh, that people in addiction started noticing that there's a high percentage of people in these addiction clinics and you can look at statistics and adoptees are overrepresented in a lot of many mental health issue yeah. type things. And so that's just what he, he noticed that and then started looking at that a little bit more. So. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, the, the, uh, I've, I've been digging around this stuff uh, a lot and what I've discovered is that that uh, uh, depends depending on on whose statistics you look at, eighty to ninety percent of people that go through traumatic stress events don't get post traumatic stress disorder. Yeah. Okay. And so only ten only ten to twenty percent do right and nobody talks about that um there's also a thing called post-traumatic growth nobody talks about that either we have a we have a very negative bias media and you know uh, if uh did, did we don't we don't we don't get we don't get the truth but good news isn't news it's only bad news it's news and yeah uh people that have not clearly people that don't you know there's a self-awareness thing as well so if people don't think it's an issue you know like the, the more aware we are of stuff the more chance we've got of, of handling it right um and i was talking to a a renowned person in this field about ptsd in the adoption field about PTSD. And, and I said, so what's the difference that makes the difference? And she listed off a load of different things. And I said, so she said, uh, and they were all external factors. They were all external factors. And not once did she talk about the internal factors. And they, they don't know. The psychologists don't know. Um, and it's really dangerous. Also, if you look at things like that, DS, in, in the States, you have this DSM handbook thing. That, that's dialogics. I know it's the list of it's the it's the uh, list of syndromes, uh, and the the it's on DSM four apparently, and it's got it's got four times as it's got four times as many syndromes as it used to have in it. And you're thinking, well. They just keep keep on discovering new stuff. I, I, I'm 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 not so sure about all this. I'm I'm really not so sure about this. I know a lot of I know a lot of psychologists uh, uh, who have been classically trained and have left the world. I know a lot of I know a lot of people of those who have had their own issues. And, you know, there's somebody in the UK who was supposed to be a mental health expert. Um, and she's off with stress. Well, she can't be that 
she can't be that much of an expert, can she? Do you know what I mean? It's like, it's really, there's some real strange stuff. There's some real strange stuff uh, uh, around this area. Uh, and that, that, um, that the whole trauma obsession, the trauma narrative, it, it's really dangerous. I, I found it really dangerous. I didn't think I was wounded until I read The Primal Wound. Then I believed it. But, but you don't, so you don't think that there, there was no trauma and there's no, there was no wound from being adopted. Well, it's what's wounded. I mean, I felt, I felt wounded, but I, you know, I, but I'm not my feelings. Okay. Yeah. I, I kind of am under this, this, I kind of am under this, and I know we, uh, uh, we, we don't understand the human brain. We don't understand the human experience. We're, we we're haven't spent this. Though. We're not our brains. Uh, well, they're part of us, but we can't understand. Like we're a whole, we're a whole thing. Like we're lots of different things. We're lots of different parts. But I think for me, you know, I can keep saying, I can spring my ankle. I can twist my ankle, right? And I can keep saying my ankle doesn't hurt. It's not a big deal. I can and keep kind of limping along and trying to, to, to keep moving with it. It's slowing me down and it's keeping me up at night and it's bugging me, but it's not enough. It's just this annoyance, right? Or I can take a couple of days off and rest it and put ice on it or heat it or do whatever I feel like I need to, to, to treat it. And then I'm able to move even better and faster after that but I have to accept, right? And that's what I feel like for me, when we talk about the thriving adoptee, I had to accept, yeah, something happened. And now I'm moving on. Like something happened, I'm gonna deal with that. And now I can move on. And I think, I think to me, it's dangerous to say that there wasn't trauma because then I'm just, I'm just living yeah. around with a, a hurt, a hurt yeah. part of me that I can't acknowledge. I mean, I've I've been through, uh, I I've been through uh, a lot of trauma, but it's not me. And I continue to do my, I continue to do my work. I I listen to stuff. I listen to 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 stuff about you know, uh, you know. I, I listen to podcasts and listen to audio books. I continue to explore who I truly am, and 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 I know that I I know that I have felt wounded, but I know that I'm not my feelings. I know that I have thought I was wounded, but I'm I'm not my brain. I'm I'm you know the we live in we live in a world where people think that well there's there's two views on this right um, there's the uh, there's like the consciousness view and there's the material view. So the material view is the prevailing view, which is that the brain creates our our, our consciousness. And then there's the other way that, that the consciousness, consciousness sits within the brain. And I'm in the consciousness sits, you know, brain sits within the consciousness stuff. And it's, it, it's not, it's not the prevailing view, but I, was, I just did another podcast with them. Um, uh, another, uh, another guest we talked about in, uh, you know, in, infertility. And uh, I was talking to her about a, a guy who's in this kind of, you know, where I get a lot of my ideas from, and and he he says, well, the the scientists haven't 
they haven't found consciousness yet. They, they haven't they, they 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 haven't found it. Well, that that's because they're looking in. They've been looking in the they're looking in the wrong place. So I don't really accept the kind of the psychological model. However, I continue. I continue to to do my work. I like tenacious and persistent and curious. I want to understand who I am because I believe that we're unwoundable. Because like the, the human spirit, a, a wound you can you can uh, you, you can if you if I had a knife, if this this pen that I'm holding in my hand and, and rubbing on my arm was a knife, I would have cut myself by now. I you know I can I can cut my body. I can have, there can be a wound on my body, but we're we're not we're we're not our bodies. We are the the ghost in the machine, the consciousness, the spirit that animates those bodies and and that spirit is in 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 my uh, opinion unwoundable that's not to say that i don't feel wounded that's not to say that i don't think wounded thoughts but i'm not my feelings i'm not my thoughts i'm the the feeler of those thoughts i'm the thinker of those thoughts but they, they ain't me you know as i say often you know, there's this French guy who says we're spiritual beings having a human experience, and ev- and and me, right? I'm obs- you know, like <laughs> I, I'm 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 to focus. I'm trying to focus my bit on the the spiritual being part of it that that that, that, are who, that, are who, that I truly am, not the human experience. The human experience is where all the trauma is. It's where the relinquishment is. It's where all the feelings are. It's where all the thoughts are. It's all it's all where the self-esteem are, the resilience, the, all that sort of stuff. It's all in the human experience. Life is a contact sport. We get knocked down. We get back up again. We get back up again because of that spiritual being, because that spiritual being is kind of born to bounce. Um, I'm not saying there's no trauma. Yeah. No, I... I... I don't know enough of this philosophy that you're talking about to to speak to it, but it's an interesting it's an interesting thought. It's an interesting way of looking at it. But obviously, that spiritual being is being influenced at some point, some part, by by that human experience, right? Like, no, no, not at all. No, it's like um, he 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 talks about it. You know, we've been talking about screens and stuff. Um, if people want to check him out, it's called Rupert Spira. Um, okay. he, he, he talks about uh, our, our experience. He, he talks about a, a movie screen and a movie. Okay. So they're, they're, they're inseparable from one another because there's, there's, no, there's no movie without the screen. But the, the movie doesn't, you know, the scary movie doesn't make the screen scary. Yeah. It's like um, lipstick on a lipstick on a um, um, on a mirror. It, it hides the mirror, but it, it doesn't. You know, you just you just take it off with a piece of whatever. Take a piece of makeup makeup remover. It doesn't it doesn't affect it. The spirit isn't affected. There's no there's no blemishes left. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting. Well, f- yeah. fascinating stuff for me. Um, no, it definitely it definitely is fascinating. So I need to understand more about the human experience than than if it's this human experience isn't you, then what is it? 
Oh, well, we're, 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 we're spiritual beings having human experience. It's, it's two sides, two sides of the kind of two sides of our, our, our life, but we've, we, and me too, you know, like I, I get, I, I get impatient when people cut me up on the, on the road. I get, you know, or I get impatient when I'm, um, when I'm in the swimming pool and, you know, I can't get a lane. Um, I, I get cheesed off when I fall asleep and miss, miss movies and stuff. Um, you know, it, it's, it's, it's the human experience, but my, my focus is kind of more on the, uh, I try to edge my focus more on the, the spiritual being of, 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 of who I truly am, because all the suffering is in the human experience. Suffering, the, the spirit doesn't suffer. So. I'm looking at the time. You've got a hard stop, haven't you? Because you need to get. To yeah, it. I need to. I need to get to another meeting. But you know, get, but it was nice talking to you and some interesting things to think about. Yeah. Uh, thank you very much for making time, and and it has been a fascinating discussion. I've uh, <laughs> I, I've I've really uh, I've really enjoyed it, and I hope I hope I, have I railroaded you on this. I hope hopefully hopefully it's been a fairly even. I don't discussion. know what that. Yeah, no, it feels like a very even discussion. So I want to know what show you were watching, though, that you're falling asleep in. Oh, it's called Guilt. That's a really good one. Uh, yeah. It's on the second so, season now. The second season? I I don't think I have access to that here. But um, Grant Chase and one of, I, you know what, I don't even know which season of in Midsummer midsummer murders oh, right. but grant chase the last the season finale of grant chase and the last season eight, eight season i think is all about adoption and then there's the grant chase i mean not sorry a midsummer grantchester. murder grantchester yes yeah, sorry grantchester and then a midsummer murder that i think it's called wolf something and it's set in a campground that's also i mean that, that that's a spoiler alert but that's also all about adoption as well. So those are the two off the top of my head, but I know that there are like four out of five, even one that normally yeah, doesn't yeah. have something like that. I was like, oh. Well, they're all murderers. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're all, all murderers. Murder. They're all the murders. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, don't don't send me any arsenic in the post or anything, Jan. Uh, I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> no, because I'm dealing with my trauma. I'm not letting it sit in me. I'm, I'm dealing with it. So I don't have these urges. <laughs> <laughs> Great to see you. Uh, See you again soon, listeners. Take care. Okay. All right. Bye.